Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, June 9th. It is countdown mode here at Cracked Rackets as we get ready to host our inaugural Cracked Rackets Open this weekend in Indianapolis. It is a men's open USTA event that will see a field that includes some of the highly touted juniors in this Midwest region of the country. It will also feature some current college tennis superstars as well as some former and current ATP professionals as well. And we are so excited to see all of the action. You know, I think all of us at this point, we miss competitive tennis. We, of course, miss seeing our favorite professionals week in, week out, competing at our favorite events, but we've started to see exhibitions emerge at all levels of tennis throughout the globe, really, and we here at Cracked Rackets are excited to host our own event. Of course, we will ensure that everyone remains safe. We follow our safety and health guidelines, Uh, but we're really excited to see players return to action. We're excited just to be in that environment once again. You know, all of us as tennis players, we grow up around that sort of competition in those tournament uh, environments, those stages, you know, those awkward conversations, those high anxiety talks you have with fellow players in the event before you go on for your own match, sizing up the competition. That's half the fun of being a tennis player. And so, of course, we are so excited to provide that environment for players once again this weekend in Indy. We're also thrilled to say that we have an exhibition event scheduled as part of the weekend's festivities, and it's going to feature uh, the man who, in my opinion, is the current king. I would say of Indianapolis tennis. If you're going to be talking or playing any sort of event in this area, you better kiss his ring uh, because he was a state champion in Indiana. He was a national champion at the University of Illinois, now a grand champion on the professional tour. And that's our guest today on the show. It is Rajiv Ram, of course, who joins us to talk about, you know, what life has been like for him in quarantine. When was the last time period he went this long without thinking about competition? And that, of course, dates back to his junior days as well, Rajiv, one of the most successful American juniors, I would argue, of the 21st century. And so, you know, he's obviously been competing at such a high level for so long. And so I ask him, you know, what's it like for him to have some time away from the game? What's he been doing to stay in shape? And then, of course, I ask him about some of his favorite moments from his career. And we talk about his 2003 Illinois team, a team that arguably could be called the greatest college tennis team on the men's side of the 21st century. We have just a lot of fun in the episode, of course. We talk a little bit about his uh, uh, charity as well, Entourage for Kids. Uh, It's a fantastic effort. Uh, If you haven't heard of it, go check out the website as well. But it's a really fun conversation, and I look for, you know, I think all of you listeners should look forward to hearing it. I look forward to sharing it with all of you. Of course, before we do that, I have to let you listeners know that the reason we are able to share any content here on this mini break podcast day in, day out is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. And guess what? Rajiv Ram, product of the Midwest, a tennis player who grew up in Indiana, as I mentioned. Alex Gruskin, I am a product of Midwest tennis. And for more than 20 years, all of us tennis players, not just in the Midwest, uh, but throughout the tennis world, have known about Midwest sports because for more than 20 years, they've served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. The reason they do so is because they offer a comprehensive selection of fast-shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online, with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their automated warehouse. 
directly to your front door. And folks, as I mentioned, I ordered myself up a pair of Nike shoes from MidwestSports.com just this past weekend. I sent them to my house as I headed there for a weekend to celebrate my little brother's graduation, as well as my dad's birthday in that order, to be frank. Um, And, you know, it's because I knew we were going to be hitting the tennis court this weekend, and we did. And folks, let me just say, I needed every ounce I could get from my supporting gear. I needed my shoes to feel good. I needed both of the sweatpants I was wearing on each of my wrists uh, because, folks, it is just not as pretty and easy for me to produce tennis as I once did. But thankfully, I had all of the gear I needed. The one thing I didn't need to worry about, my movement. And that's because I was rocking a brand new pair of shoes, which I got from our friends at MidwestSports.com because they value innovation. And they've personally tailored their products to highlight all of our skills on the tennis court. Their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. You can find all of their products, again, by going to their website, MidwestSports.com. When you're there, you're going to want to order yourself some stuff. And when you do, be sure to use our promo code CR15 because not only will you get 15% off, you'll let them know that we sent you there. Uh, You will get free shipping with all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, and believe me, this came into great usage this past weekend, that free can of balls they send you when you use that promo code CR15, that's going to ensure that you have everything you need for when you make your return to the tennis court. So go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15. All right, with that being said, let's get to my interview with NCAA champion, Kalamazoo champion, Grand Slam champion, king of Indianapolis tennis, Rajiv Ram. Joining us on the podcast tonight is a man who has had success at every level of tennis he has played. Let's start with the juniors, where he was a four-time Kalamazoo champion. He then on went on he then went on to the University of Illinois and won a national championship both for the team and in doubles. And now, of course, he is a two-time Grand Slam champion in doubles as well. Rajiv Ram, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it is our pleasure always. As a newly uh, formed, I suppose, native of Indianapolis, I feel like I moved to your city. I have to come kiss the ring. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but welcome. We 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 uh, we welcome anyone that wants to be here. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate you saying that. And we, of course, here at Cracked Rackets, are thrilled to say that we will be seeing you at our inaugural Cracked Rackets Open this weekend. Uh, let's start there. Obviously, you know, quarantine has been a weird time for all of us. Nothing any of us could have anticipated for you to win the Grand Slam with Joe at the Australian Open, uh, and then you know to have this sort of thing happen. I suppose. What have these first six months in 2020 been like for you? Yeah, it's kind of been a little bit of everything, to be honest. Um, you know, I we went to Australia feeling quite good about where we were at. Um, you know, we, we played really well towards the end of last year and you know, felt like we were gelling and had a good chance to, to do some good things. And then obviously we, you know, had a great two weeks and played fantastic tennis and came away with the trophy in Australia and really pumped up about all that. And then, uh, Next thing was in February. We went and played one tournament in Dubai. Didn't go as well, but still feeling like we had the momentum. And 
Joe actually came to my house out in California, have a, spent some time out there, and um, he uh, was there for a couple of days. We practiced, played a little golf, did one little exo, and then we were literally ready to go to Indian Wells uh, the next day on the Monday and on Sunday night. Got the word that Indian Wells was canceled, and then the whole thing just got turned upside down on its head for us and for everybody else. Yeah, no, no kidding. And for you, you know, as someone who uh, I think that first Kalamazoo title came in 1999, so I imagine now it's been 25 years probably straight of training for your next tournament or thinking about your next tournament. When was the last time you had a three-month, four-month stretch like this where there was no tennis on your mind? Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about that. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I, I've played tennis as long as I can remember. Never have been fortunate, never have to take an extended break because of an injury or a, a surgery or something like that. So I, I'm going to say possibly never, which is just incredible um, that it's been like this where I just can't compete um, at all. There's nothing to play in, or I shouldn't say that's nothing because I'm going to, you know, there's going to be a tournament this weekend, like you mentioned, but there's, there's nothing, um, let's say tour sanctioned, you know, that we can, uh, that we can play in. And it's just, uh, it's really strange. It's, it's a, it's a whole new reality. Mm-hmm. No. And you know, this next question, again, I told you this beforehand, but if you're ever going to swear at me, this is going to be the question where it comes, um, you know, for you at age 36, and that is young by any metric, but <laughs> you know, I'm sure it requires a little bit more maintenance now to keep yourself fit, to uh, stay in the sort of condition you want so that you're competing for grand slam titles, making year end finals. How have you approached this from a training perspective? And I know, you know, I'm sure safety and health were prioritized above of all else but how do you ensure that you don't burn out during this period or that you know you don't take too long of a time frame off yeah it's a really good question actually to be fair uh i definitely you know probably cut back or not probably i definitely cut back on the amount of tennis i'm going to play or i have played partially partially because there was nowhere to play it secondly because you know there was nothing to really get ready for nothing to sort of train for but i just thought of it as you know what can i do to maybe preserve my body a little bit longer are there are there any things that perhaps you know the normal tennis season doesn't let me do that could you know help basically elongate my career you know and so yeah I had a few things pop up here and there and just kind of try to keep up general fitness but it's challenging because you know gyms aren't open and normal methods of training um weren't really available so I had to be creative but uh, that was sort of the idea and feel like um that's probably what most people are doing to be honest no. Are you a uh, push-ups and sit-ups type of guy, or are you a I'm running outside sort of uh, person? Uh, neither one of those. <laughs> uh, we have a bike at home. I've been on that a bit. Um, had uh, Got hooked up with a, a trainer back in, in California that actually has quite a lot of her own equipment, so she was actually able to bring it off, and we'd go through a routine where she'd bring it, she'd put it down, I'd clean it, I'd use it, I'd put it back to her car, I'd you know take it back close to the car, I'd clean it, then she'd put it back in her car and go on our way so we had a little bit of a routine going there but uh yeah it was uh, a lot of just sort of makeshift stuff um but yeah r- running unfortunately for me and uh push-ups and sit-ups are not really in the cards running would just ruin <laughs> ruin my career unfortunately i think <laughs> like i said 36 um yeah, anyways exactly. no for you uh you know in terms of there was a time period where the you know volleying against the wall was a fad and not to say where was your volleying video though i would love to see it because i bet you've got some pretty you know i know you have some pretty good hands but you know in terms of 
working on your doubles skills because so much of doubles is read and react and it's playing in the moment and improvisation and yeah sure a serve and a poach are things you can practice but in terms of live doubles competition that's a hard thing to simulate have you found yourself having difficulty you know main you know i suppose replicating that competitive environment Absolutely. I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things to see when we get back is how are people going to deal with the competitive environment that they've been away from for so long? I mean, as tennis players, like you mentioned, we, we don't take this kind of time off. It's not like other sports that have, you know, lengthy off seasons. We, we don't, we're not used to it. So I think just kind of getting back to full speed and in, in competition mode might take a little while. At least I'm, I'm very prepared for that to be the case. Um, so it's, very difficult to replicate if not impossible especially when you're only allowed to you know maybe play tennis with one other person or or whatever so i um haven't done a whole lot of that it's definitely been challenging and i think we're probably going to see a bit of that when we start playing again Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, you are playing in our Cracked Rackets Open this weekend. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, we're obviously greatly uh, appreciative that you will be doing so. I'm curious for you in terms of the motive behind it. You know, how much of just getting competitive reps again is that a motivation to playing an event like this? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just in the exhibition, so it's yeah. not going to be uh, many matches. It's just going to only give me one. But for me, I mean, the motivation was totally not. Mm-hmm. the reps it was it was purely because i think you guys are putting on a really cool event it's in my home city i mean for tennis players we never get to play home games um you know everything's away if you're lucky you live in a town where there's a tennis tournament so you get to play one a year but you know anytime i can play or be a part of an event in my in my own city um i i'd, I'd love to take advantage of it if, if it's possible and it happened to be you know possible this time with the timeline with the timing so i uh that was my motivation. I think the cause is really cool. And I, you know, a few of the people I know are going to be there and just a a fun thing to sort of, uh, you know, participate in, I think for me. Yeah, that's really nice of you to say. I was going to save this question for later, but, you know, for me, the Midwest closed was always North Central, Carmel, and Park Tudor High School. You yeah. need, you're, you know, you're texting Ronnie Schneider and you're like, Ronnie, I want to hit today. Let's go. Which high school are you choosing? Oh, I'm choosing Carmel for sure, because that's where I went to school. <laughs> no question. But I have spent a fair bit of time at all of the uh, said high schools doing uh, playing tennis with, you know, over the over the years, for sure. North Central is a staple of Midwest tennis. It sure is. North Central is where it all happens, competition-wise. Yeah. No, absolutely. And for you, you know, you talk about playing a hometown event. And, you know, Indiana, Indianapolis in general, I feel like that it has been traditionally a fairly, you know, a hotbed of talent for tennis. Uh, that's obviously something you succeeded at quite a bit when you were younger. How did you first get into the game? Um, I'm not going to say by accident, but I mean, I was a pretty active <laughs> kid uh, growing up. I'm only child. And so, you know, would just go out my dad was very good about spending time with me doing you know whatever i wanted we would throw the football and i'd dribble the basketball and we'd hit tennis balls and tennis was just sort of the one sport that i was a little bit better at than everything else I had a knack for it and we started watching it together it was kind of our our thing that we did my you know my dad and i we would play together we'd watch tennis and you know it was like it was like our our thing so just sort of evolved from there to becoming uh something that i played started to play competitively I noticed I was getting better at it. I was, you know, pretty good for my age and all this. And it just sort of progressed, you know, from there on and had some great coaches and some great people along the way to really help me. But the the motivation was always, you know, to enjoy something, something, you know, do something that's fun for me. Not really, not really much of anything else. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, you know, having seen you again play over the years, uh, you know, you, the the doubles is something you have clearly excelled at throughout your pro career. It's something you also excelled at in the juniors as well. Was that always an aspect of the game you enjoyed? Yeah, I mean, I enjoy playing everything. I, I mean, if I could still manage it, as you mentioned, my my age is getting up there. If I could still <laughs> play singles, I, I would definitely do it. But you know, that 36 definitely is not, it doesn't allow it for me, but, uh, uh, doubles. Yeah. I, I always enjoyed it. I played singles and doubles as long as I can remember. I played all the tournaments. I, I enjoyed playing, I enjoyed playing with a partner and just the different sort of aspects that it, it requires and the different skill set and all that. I, I thought it was a lot of fun all the time. So, you know, always enjoyed it. Doubles is a relationship, right? Like any relationship, there's an aspect that's physical. You're slapping fives, you're touching, and there's communicating as well. I feel like you have to nurture a doubles partnership like any relationship in your life. Isn't that fair? It's very fair. Honestly, the <laughs> the thing that it's, it's funny you say that it's like a marriage in a lot of ways. I mean, like you got to make sure that, you know, first of all, the partner that you choose is somebody that you get along with and you're compatible with to a certain degree. And then even then you got to make sure that, you know, there's good communication and all kinds of stuff. It's it's got way too many parallels than I that I'd like to that I then I'd like to think of. But um, yeah, absolutely. I think the double teams that kind of do a lot of those things the best. I mean, if you the the best thing I can do on a doubles court is make my partner play well. If he plays well, it makes my job in tennis a lot easier. So if I can say something or do something or you know you know whatever, make a suggestion that helps him just a little bit, that's only going to help me. And that's I think the, one of the biggest tricks to being. Uh, good at doubles is just that. Yeah, no, and I got to enjoy watching some highlights of you before today's interview, and I noticed, you know, with Joe, <clears throat> you played the ad side. With uh, Raven, you played the deuce, I believe, or maybe I fl- – no, no, I think that's oh, right. right. Um, and I- I'm curious, so for you, again, to follow up on that previous thought, how much of finding a partner is – is it a tactical fit versus, again, the personality fit as well and, you know, the way you both see the game because in doubles you're calling plays and, you know, writing a script just as much as you you are reading and reacting yeah for sure i think the original thought of why you might want to play you know partner up with somebody is because of tactics you think well i i serve well maybe he returns well or maybe you both serve well so you're a difficult team to break and you're both you know good at the net good at the base and whatever it is whatever you think might complement your style the best that is usually the first thing you look for and i think as you sort of try and build up like a bit of a rapport and a bit of uh, chemistry and, and things like that when you talk about winning maybe big events and you know, trying to compete with some of the other, you know, some of the best teams in the world, it takes more than just good forehands and backhands. So then I think that's where sort of like the lifting each other up and making each other play well in big situations that comes into play a bit more. So I think it's, you know, originally a tactical thing and then it gets to the sort of more emotional side, let's say um, a bit later on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with all due respect to Joe, to uh, Sam Stozer, to Barbara, to all of the partners you've had over the years, is there a player out there who maybe you've competed against or you just haven't had the chance to play with that you would like to play with that you just, you know, you enjoy watching them? You think, ooh, that would be a fun pairing for me? I mean, yeah, I, I absolutely. I think someone like, you know, one of the – I well, first of all, I'll tell you this. I'm lucky to play in the, the era in men's tennis of – some of the best players in the world. I uh, sorry, some of the best players of all time. So, I mean, the idea that I could maybe have a, a match with Roger Federer on my side would be pretty cool. Just cause, <laughs> like, just to listen to what he might say or might think in the situation, I think I would just be, I would eat that up. I think that would be pretty amazing. Um, you know, I got to play with Venus at the Olympics. Venus Williams, she's, you know, going to be a Hall of Famer whenever, whenever she stops. And just some of the things that she said, 
you know, it, it stuck with me and just how she competes and how she fights. It's, it's special. There's those players are, they got something different. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that, uh, Venus Williams, that was obviously your partner at the 2016 Olympics where you guys won the silver medal. What was that moment like for you, that Olympic experience and, you know, not to compare it to a slam title, but I have to imagine representing the country pretty special. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, I've been asked this question quite a few times and I think, yeah. you know, the, the thing that I would say is that just the experience of being on the team, walking, opening the ceremonies, you know, being around other athletes that are the best at what they do in whatever sport they're in and, and just kind of, you know, on such a global world stage and such a famous event like the Olympics was the co- one of the coolest, if not the coolest things I've done. You know, winning a medal was sort of icing on the cake, if you will. Um, but just the experience of being in that environment for that period of time was amazing. Mm-hmm. Let me just say, it wasn't in my planned script, but you led me there. So I, was just, <laughs> I, I had to ask the question. It was just sitting there. And Fair enough. Been, yeah, male practice not to. Um, okay, to switch back gears, because you know you talk about growing up watching tennis with your father and uh, that being something that connected the two of you. I see a lot of shades of Pete Sampras in your game. And I say that, you know, the tactics, the forehand, the, the loop, and all of the components of it, the serving and volleying. Safe to say that was one of your favorites growing up? Yeah, I mean, as I said, tennis was something that we did as a as an activity with my or I did as an activity with my dad, and so that kind of meant I didn't really have a coach. Nobody taught me how to play. My dad wasn't a tennis player. He was, you know, he he played some cricket because he grew up in India. He you know probably hit a tennis ball a few times, but he learned the game with me. And so we, you know, we watched tennis. And I think Pete Sampras won his first U.S. Open when I was maybe six. And you know, my dad said, "Well, geez, this guy's pretty good. Why don't we try and see if we can play like him?" And I guess I have somewhat of a knack of uh, of imitation and, and some things because I obviously took that advice to heart. And, you know, I thought he was amazing and a few other American players too. I grew up in a generation of great American male players. And, um, you know, he was the one that I thought I at least enjoyed watching the most out of all of them. And, and that's how I tried to play. Mm-hmm. Down to the eyebrows. You guys are identical. <laughs> uh, it's perfect for On you. the hair loss. Yeah. <laughs> hey, all three of us have those things in common, so no issues with that there. Um, well, it's interesting you say, you know, no formal training because, again, four Kalamazoo titles and, you know, you were the number one seed in singles a couple of times. You won three straight doubles uh, titles with the same partner. That success doesn't come easily. You look through the Kalamazoo history books, and, of course, Kalamazoo sees every top American junior through every generation of player, and, you know, you don't see that sort of result common so I don't know was there a moment for you where maybe you thought to yourself or you realized hey I'm you know I'm, I'm pretty good at this maybe I should really start focusing on this full time yeah I mean Kalamazoo started when I was what 15 so I mean by that time I'd already had a couple of coaches and I'd already had some some proper training in this and that I, I I was meaning more until I was probably about 12 or 13 that I didn't have a coach so kind of at the point where your strokes <laughs> and whatnot are more or less groomed I didn't really have somebody teach me how to do that but yeah by that time I kind of felt like, well, like you said, you go to these tournaments and you, I played and I played quite well and I had really good results. And then you see kind of who's done this in the past. You're like, wow, maybe some of these guys and girls were, you know, being great players. And for me, it, it stuck about 16 years old. I can remember I was, you know, I was really noticing I was getting better. And then at 17, I, I felt like I made a huge jump. Um, and I thought, this is a lot of fun and I can really, I can really keep trying to do this. And if I can make this kind of improvement, maybe a couple more times, I, I really can make a career out of this possibly and so it was about that time i'd say between the ages of 15 and 17 when i really kind of felt like uh i i really should put my mind to it because i i noticed how i was competing against other players and 
um, you know, I was doing quite well a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. At age 17, you play your first U.S. Open. How does the thrill of walking onto that stage for the first time compare, you know, now when you're playing at the Australian Open and it's X slams later? Yeah, X slams, exactly. 58, somebody told me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I remember it. I remember it, you know, really well. I mean, I, like you said, we won the doubles at Kalamazoo, so that gave us a wild card. And just, just like the whole thing, like being around, like getting your credential, all of these things that now it's sort of a week-to-week thing. Like, you know, and at the time it was 2001. So all of these players that I looked up to and idolized were there playing. I mean, like you said, I was a huge Pete Sampras fan. He was like a couple feet away from me in the locker room, sitting down preparing for match like that. The whole experience was just like otherworldly, you know, like I couldn't believe it. I mean, I didn't have a chance to win a match, unfortunately, but I mean, <laughs> it was just the coolest thing to just be there. Mm-hmm. And so for you, you know, to play all of these different events, and of course you had so much success over your career. You said, you know, you're playing your home event. You could argue that Newport might also be considered a home stadium for you at this point in your career. And, uh, you know, for you to, to go all that time and then 2019, you know, to win uh, the mixed doubles title 2020 to follow that up, um, I guess, how does, how does the experience change uh, as you, you know, continue to mature through your career? Does the thrill of walking onto that center court ever go away? No, I don't think so. I think it's, you know, as long as, as long as you care about something, as long as you, you know, are fully invested, I don't think it'll ever change. You know, I mean, if it was something that I didn't really care about and, you know, these moments were just sort of, you know, come and go, I think it'd be time to move on and do something else. I think, uh, you know, you could play as long as you want. And as long as it, it still matters the same, I think it still feels, it's sort of, you, you get that thrill and I'm very, I'm not, you know, I'm very aware of the fact that I'm lucky to do what I do. So I think uh, I certainly do appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, I think one thing all tennis fans appreciate about you is you've used your success and you've given back to your community. And so I wanted to take this time, obviously, to ask you to tell our listeners about, you know, Entourage for Kids and, you know, your efforts, your 501c3 and, you know, what your organization tries to do, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, no, I appreciate asking me about it. So yeah, we've, We've been uh, 501c3 for some time now, and uh, basically our our goal is to promote the game of tennis in, in my hometown of Indianapolis, and uh, we do that by raising money and having high schools apply for grants that basically want to have tennis teams and but don't have all of the resources. So generally, they come from underprivileged areas. Perhaps they don't have nets or rackets or uniforms, or you know, need a court resurfaced or something, anything really. And they basically give us our give us their their sort of situation, and then we try and help them as best as we can. Because I just feel like you know, tennis has given me so much. I think even if it's not going to be your career, I think it's a great place for a kid to go after school. You know, make a bunch of friends, play a sport that teaches you a lot. Be outside, be active. There's just so many benefits to a kid maybe being on a tennis team as opposed to perhaps making other you know choices and decisions that wouldn't be so uh, wouldn't be so good for them. So. That's the main goal, and then we do have a couple other ulterior grants that help high-performance kids, and uh, you know, to basically offset some of the travel expenses that they might incur um, to hopefully, you know, pursue a, a longer career in tennis. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, if for people who want to learn more, just go to Entourage, spelled R-A-J, for obvious reason, for kids.org. Um, I, I, to your point, I think something everyone can relate to right now is, you know, during this pandemic, the lack of structure in so many of our lives, the routines we are so accustomed to doing being disrupted. And, you know, I know growing up that I, tennis, even though I wasn't, you know, ever going to play at the professional level, it provided me so much structure, just the idea of, you know, I'm going to school and then I'm going to practice practice and I know, hey, I got to get my homework done because I want to practice X, X amount of extra hours today. Uh, and so, you know, from as someone who just, you know, grew up playing tennis, I again, I can't tell you much how uh, enough how much we admire uh, your efforts. So seriously, on behalf of all you do, thank you so much. Um, now, I do have one last topic for you before I sure. let you go, because I am a massive college tennis fan, and okay. you, know, you happen to play on arguably the greatest college tennis team of, we'll say, the 21st century. Okay, uh, for, that you know, I can your, go with, yeah. Yeah, your 2003 Illinois team. And I just don't think people appreciate enough how that 2003 NCAA final finished. So I wanted to take the time to ask you, wow. uh, you know, to set the scene a little bit, because, you know, for that team, again, 32-0, and 0, uh, you guys have I think four or five top 100 players obviously swept singles, swept doubles, won the team title as well. In the moment playing on that team, did you realize how good you all were? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, yes and no. I, I think, I think you know, obviously when we get to 31-0 and and you have one more watch, match to win the NCAAs, you have a you have a general idea because you know there's been all of these teams you know forever however long and only only a very few have been able to be undefeated and you know all that stuff so i think yeah towards the end you you think wow, this is pretty something pretty special but it was really it was really just sort of us trying to to you know step over the next hurdle you know we, i don't think anyone was thinking too much about about what we were in the connotation of all of the college teams in history and this and that Certainly before the before the season started, I mean, nobody knew what was going to happen. I think I think we did a pretty good job of sort of keeping that attitude, of just trying to trying to beat the team in front of us every time. Because it, it by the end, you, you know, we were definitely we were the best team of the year for sure. And, and everybody, we had the bullseye on our back. Everybody was wanting to beat us because we were going to be a good win, you know, for for any team. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can completely picture that. For you uh, personally, I know you played that year with Brian Wilson, uh, but you guys didn't even play one doubles on your team. What was the level yeah. of competition like, you know, in practice, you guys versus Amar and Michael, and just in general, again, uh, to have top five top 100 singles players? Did you, you know, I feel like that's the sort of thing where it's like, okay, that that's a pathway to the pros right there, those sorts of practices. Actually, that's exactly what one of the things and probably the top thing that sold me on going to school there, you know, everyone when I was that age and at that time in college tennis, it was like college tennis was dominated by you know USC, UCLA, Stanford, Georgia, you know, maybe a couple of more Florida, but really California schools plus Georgia was really what did it. And uh, Craig, who Craig Tyler, who was our coach, I, I remember this in the in the in the when he was recruiting me, he said, look, you know, you're going to be at school for however many days and we're going to play 30 odd matches if we do really well. But the rest of the days are going to be based on practicing with the rest of the other guys on the team. And, you know, there's other players on the team that have pro aspirations and they're going to work really hard. And, you know, that's going to be what's going to make you a better player. And I thought that made perfect sense. You hit the nail right on the head. I mean, it was it was that environment where you're around other players that are really good all the time you know, to, to push you which is what made that such a such a great stepping stone for me to be in the pros. It wasn't as much our results, but it was more just sort of 
the environment, the daily environment and practice. I mean, we were all competitive. We were all knew each other from juniors, but I think I played everybody on the team before I even got to school at, at some point in a, in a tournament, you know, in, in junior tennis. So we all, we all had, we all didn't want to lose in practice. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> no, I can only imagine. And I believe Joe went to Memphis, but you see so many guys on the ATP tour playing doubles who had college tennis uh, experience prior to that. Do you think, you know, the college doubles, I, I know you played a lot of doubles in the juniors, but for a lot of people, that's their first exposure to high level doubles. Do you think, you know, maybe for if your intention is to be a professional doubles player, college might even be the ideal pathway? I do actually. I think it's a it's a great pathway to go. It's a great place to go and work on your skills because doubles is so important. You know, when I was in school, it was three points each. Each doubles match was worth a point. Now it's only one, but it's still so valuable because you know you can it can change the balance of a match. And I think you actually spend time and you work on it a little bit. You try and you try and improve it, and it just gives you that that time at such a critical age to really you know harness some skills especially if you haven't spent much time on it before so i, I think it's a great pathway for a uh, for a player to you know that's looking for a career in doubles to, to start with mm-hmm. are you a servant volley stickler you're doing it every serve every time no matter what no not every serve every time no matter what you know uh, most of the time i'd say 90 percent. but you know i think the doubles game is changing similarly how singles changed maybe 15 years ago i think people return so well that you have to be a little unpredictable and i think um you know there's situations where it's it's better that you maybe stay back and you do some different things so i think it's uh i think it's i think that's why what makes doubles so much so interesting for me is that there's people that can win with different styles and you see that contrast of of playing styles out there and i think uh it's going to only continue to grow that way Mm-hmm. Do you think it's more predictable for you? Uh, you know, because I'm sure the play uh, superficially served to your backhand. Are you so aware of that? Are you like, <laughs> I know what you're going to do, and do you think that serves as an advantage I, for you? I wish. I, I, yeah, I, sure, but it still doesn't mean I make the <laughs> shot. You know, I wish that would work in the sense that I know it's coming here, so I should be able to make it. But like, it doesn't always work like that. But I think. Uh, yeah, it's obviously, you know, everyone has the, the funny thing is, is when you get to a certain point, and you've played guys, you know, 10, 12, 15 times, you, you know, what's coming. It's just a matter of if you can execute it or not. And, and everyone makes constant minor adjustments and they do different things like that. But uh, that's why you just have to keep working. I mean, the margins are so small and, you know, you could thread the needle one day and miss it by an inch the next day. But you just have to kind of try to keep the, the ship going in the right direction and just get a little bit better every time. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree with you there. I lost the thread to my question. Just uh, last two for you to get back to that NCAA title match again. Oh, yeah. You guys, you guys, yeah, that that's where we started here. You guys uh, drop a doubles point, which very rarely yeah. happened that season. You win your match in straight sets, but the team goes down 3-1. What's that heart attack like, just the, the pit in your stomach when you're watching your team, you know, four, five, six singles, all three set matches, you're down 3-1, and you just have no power. You know, I feel like it's just significantly worse to watch than it is to play those matches. Yeah, it was it was awful, to be honest. It was all, <laughs> I, like, until we won, it was awful. Because, I mean, we lost the doubles point four times that year in the finals of the Big Ten, in the finals of the indoor, and in the semis and finals of the NCAA. So, like, the four biggest matches we could play, we lose the doubles point. So that that wasn't so so concerning because we had done it the day before against Stanford. Um, what was is that we lost five out of six first sets uh, in singles, which that I don't know. I don't think it happened because we didn't we didn't even have another four three match the whole season. So not only did we go thirty two and zero, like we weren't. It wasn't even close. 
you know, we didn't get to the point of, of being close to losing um, until the final. Um, so we lose five of the six other than my match, which I happened to have won. And then right away we lose uh, one and two. We lost our, our two top guys lose to, I mean, they had great players on their team too, to be fair. They had Bobby Reynolds at one, who was a top 60 player, I believe. And then uh, Chad Harris, who was another really good player. So that those two matches were a bit even, but I felt like, our strength was, you know, kind of down lower in our lineup because we had so much depth. And then to see those guys all lose the sets, you know, all the first sets, that was that was difficult. And Vanderbilt's team came with a lot of energy and they were really pumped and they were playing great. And it was just like, just hoping that the tide would turn. And, you know, sure enough, one went down and then the next one. And our, our guy at four, Phil Stolt, hit 20 aces in the third set, I think it was. I don't know. Who knows what it was. But uh, came down to the last match on six. And, um, you know, our, our guy, Chris Martin, just he just – gutted it out and yeah it was incredible because we didn't even like i said we didn't even have a match that close the whole season until that until that uh that match so it was not even something that had happened before it was literally the, the first match that i had in college that was a three all and i and it was for the ncaa title you know <laughs> yeah that's why college tennis is the best and you know just to pry it's five four he's serving for the match Love 40, yeah. he fights back, and then again, for people who don't know how this match ends, far left sideline, official overrules the call, yeah. you guys win the title. Just, you know, from your perspective, and I'm, I'm sure you don't remember it 100%, but I'm very sure you remember the feeling. Did yeah. you think the overrule was correct, and just what goes through your head uh, during that uh, game? I'm going to um, take a very neutral stance on that one and say I was—I had no look at it. I was pretty far away from the court, and that's—that is the honest truth. I have no idea. I, to be honest, I—I I don't know if the umpire had any business overruling the far sideline on that point, but he did, and you know that was—that was the match, and it was just like you know what was really cool is that the, the the culture that was built at Illinois was you know a family a you know a tradition we had so many alums come back because everybody was part of it right i mean i don't think we would have had the class or the or the team that we did had it not been for the guys before us improving so much and sort of showing us that you know this is the place to go to school i mean who wants to go to champaign illinois if you're a good tennis player you can go to any school you want in america in better towns and better places but we all went there because you could see how the player the program was turning out good player after good player and so we must have had 10 odd alums from you know 10 or 20 alums from years past come back and watch it was just like it was like a home match in georgia which you know we we didn't really have any business having a home match in georgia and it was uh it was such a cool feeling to see everybody just be that excited for a team that they felt a part of even though they weren't the ones on the court you know yeah no and as someone who went to michigan i say this begrudgingly but truthfully go to an illinois match now there's not a better environment in college tennis and, yeah you know, i agree with that and i think yeah. i think our our you know i got a lot of credit to craig tiley and bruce burke who were my two coaches of starting that sort of thing where they they wanted it to be cool to come to a college tennis match and i think other some of the other programs have sort of sort of followed in that you know followed that lead and and it, it is it is something pretty neat mm-hmm. uh you mentioned his name craig tiley uh the fact that he is you know who he is in tennis australia and you have two australian open titles that's not a coincidence is it <laughs> i hope not <laughs> uh no i mean it's it's really cool for me just it, it is it is a coincidence actually but it's mm-hmm. um you know it's really cool for me to just have both majors that I've won, you know, be you know, the trophy. He he gave me the trophy for both of the majors that I won. It's it's you almost know, couldn't write that any better, you know. Um, somebody that 
you know, I've known since I was 16 years old because he was recruiting me or 17 years old, whatever it is. Like we've had phone conversations. I played on his team and, you know, just gone our different ways since then in the sense of him leaving Illinois and me becoming a, a pro player. And then, you know, here you are however many years later and, and like the biggest two titles that I've won, you know, he's got to be there for him, which is pretty neat, you know? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. That's so cool. Again, it proves there are the tennis gods are real, folks. Uh, if you <laughs> didn't know, now for sure you absolutely have to. And um, you know, we've had uh, so much fun today, Rajiv. So obviously, again, thank you for taking the time to chat today. My last question for you: uh, it, it's a serious one. Uh, just again, given I, I feel like I have to ask this question, given where we are at this point in 2020, uh, tennis right now suspended through August 1st for the HPWTA, the ITF. Um, you know, I, I, I guess. It's, it's hard for anyone to anticipate if there will or won't be professional tennis, but what are your feelings at this point? Do you think we will see pro tennis return this season? And if it does, you know, will you feel comfortable playing? It's a really good question. I mean, I, I sure hope so, not only for our benefit, but just for the benefit of, you know, society in general. I think we, we especially in this country, thrive on sports. And if we can be one of them that, that comes back. But I, I do think, you know, like you were saying before, I mean, safety and all that comes First, I think everyone's going to have to be comfortable with the environment that they're going to um, from a safety perspective. Maybe it's not going to be the most comfortable and most normal because if there's no fans or if there's only, you know, you know, minimal support staff allowed or whatever it is like that. But, you know, safety is what it's got to be at an absolute premium. So I think before we can say yes or no, I think we have to know all the parameters and what, what it would look like. But I, I really do like these small events that are popping up, like, for example, the one this weekend. I just think, you know, it gives it, it gives events like this a chance to happen a chance to have some maybe players that they wouldn't have before because other players are playing you know on their respective tours and um i think i think it gives tennis a chance to maybe grow in some areas that that they wouldn't have had before and i think that's actually if there's a small positive to it i think for our sport that is one yeah, no, I completely agree with you there, and I appreciate you bringing us full circle like a professional does. Um, yeah, exactly. We appreciate you uh, agreeing to participate again this weekend. We look forward to you again, you know, seeing you out there. Uh, maybe I, I might have to take the court against you. All I ask, don't hit me with a forehand. Uh, you know, be kind, please, because I break, I bruise easily at this point. Um, but, you know, Rajiv, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, thank you so much for all you do for the game of tennis. And, again, we really look forward to seeing seeing you uh this weekend at our cracked rackets open yeah my pleasure I'm, I'm excited to play i think my exo is against ronnie schneider who you mentioned before who's going to be playing in the, in the actual tournament and we actually played each other in the u.s open a number of years ago amazingly enough in a doubles match so uh we've done it before at one of the biggest tournaments in the world and now we're going to do it in Indy here. So also in the second biggest tournament in the second world. biggest. That's uh, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, if I were to surprise you with one doubles partner, Brian Baker or Brian Wilson, who would you pick? Like to have? What do you mean? Yeah, you what? get you get to play with one of them. Ronnie gets to play with the other. You get oh, first pick. Man. Which Brian pick, are you taking? I, I, nothing against Brian Wilson. I'd pick Brian Baker. He's my oldest tennis friend. We played together since we were 11 years old, and uh, we were actually supposed to play on tour together before he got his last injury. Like we were supposed to play the whole 2018 season together. So yeah, if he if uh, if I was able to play with him again, that would be quite fun. All right, I'm gonna call my league people see if we can make it happen. <laughs> um, but see if he can yeah. fix his back first. Yeah, exactly. Look, I I have a lot of league people, so we'll see what we can do. Uh, But yeah, again, Rajiv, thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing you this weekend. All right. Thanks a lot. Yep. Take care.
Hope all of you enjoyed our conversation with Rajiv Ram. And again, for any of you in the Indianapolis area, you can come watch Rajiv play at our inaugural Crack Rackets Open this weekend. For more information, more details, be sure to check out our website, the event info uh, on our website, I should say, crackrackets.com. What a blast it is, though, to talk to Rajiv Ram because that really is a guy who has succeeded at all levels of tennis, juniors, college, professional. And so, you know, so much wisdom for him to share. I look forward to seeing him grow into uh, his role as the elder statesman of American men's tennis because he has certainly earned uh, that distinction, and it was such a blast getting to talk to him, uh, of course, as well. And we've had so many great conversations here already this week on the Mini Break podcast yesterday. I talked to Ronnie Schneider, another player competing in our Cracked Rackets Open. You're sensing a theme here this week, folks. We are really excited for our return uh, back to the tennis court. And so, you know, we talked to him about what it's like to transition away from the game of tennis, what it was like for him to step into a coaching role, now for him to step again into a professional job outside of the tennis realm. Two vastly different conversations, but both equally enjoyable. So hopefully all of you listeners check those out. And of course, if you've missed any of our other interviews, be sure to go check out our Cracked Interviews podcast as well. Great Shot Podcast, Rockin' and Rollin', the Inside Out Podcast, Rockin' and Rollin'. And so, of course, I will ask that all of you like, rate, subscribe, review each of those shows. Be sure to check them out. I mean, there will be guests for you, I promise. Last week on the Cracked Interviews Podcast, it was Monica Pui, who, of course, was another gold uh, Olympic medalist, the 2016 gold medalist for women's singles. We also had doubles and singles 2020 All-American Jada Hart of UCLA on the show. And more great interviews to come throughout the week, so be on the lookout for all of those things. And of course, again, if you have missed any of our content, be sure to go check out our website, crackedrackets.com. The YouTube channel is rocking and rolling thanks to the work of our super producer, Daniel Westhoff. And by the way, shout out to he and Max Legner for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. I spent a weekend away from him and I, you know, clearly missed his presence. I, I could tell immediately when I walked in, I was like, oh, I'm in a safe space once again. So shout out to them as well. Shout out to our friends, at Midwest Sports. Again, go there, use that promo code CR15, get 15% off all of your orders, free two-day shipping, and an extra can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Be sure to check out our friends at Aero Bar as well, the only tennis-specific energy bar out there as you make your return to the court. So you're going to want to be pro- have that proper nutrition available to you. And so go to aerobar.com, use that promo code CRACK15. You're going to like what you're eating. I guarantee it. Uh, and again, use that promo code to let them know that we sent you there. Uh, but with that being said, for our incredible guests, Rajiv Ram, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.